Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. When people look at Rob Mendez, a man born with no arms and no legs, more often than not, they feel a wave of pity for a man strapped into his wheelchair. But Rob Mendez does not want your sympathy, and he doesn't want to be called special. All he really wants is for you to treat him like anyone else. And if you want to call him something, just call him Coach. Stick around after the story for my conversation with ESPN senior writer Wayne Drays as we talk about how your only limitations are the ones you put on yourself. Now we present Who Says I Can't by Wayne Drays. Who Says I Can't by Wayne Drays. How could someone born without arms or legs, who's never held a football, teach high school players how to throw, tackle, or block? Rob Mendez is doing it as head coach of a California JV team. It's the biggest weekend of the year in Gilroy, California, with more than 100,000 people visiting for the annual Garlic Festival. But on this late July night, 30-year-old high school football coach Rob Mendez has a taste for sushi. A young boy holds open the door as Mendez approaches his favorite spot. The coach nods and says, thank you. Earlier in the day, Mendez flew home from Las Vegas, a 48-hour escape before the insanity of the season begins. The lift mechanism on his wheelchair broke on the trip, and his roommate is resting back at home, exhausted from a pair of Vegas nights. But Mendez won't give up that easily. He's meeting me at the bar. He rolls in wearing a plain white T-shirt and faded red San Francisco 49ers hat. Most everyone recognizes him and says hello. He's like Norm from Cheers. Without his wheelchair working properly, he can't raise its height to sit next to me at the bar. I suggest we move to a lower table and make things easier. He scoffs. Screw that, he says. I'm sitting right there at the bar next to you. Can you lift me out of my chair? I panic. How do you move a fully grown adult with no arms and legs? Where do I put my hands? What if I drop him? Mendez gives me directions. I unbuckle the belt around his waist and weave it through the slits torn on the sides of his shirt. I lean over, wrap my hands around him, and lift him out of his chair. Put me on your shoulder, he says. He is fifty pounds of head, neck, torso, and waist. It feels as if everyone is staring. I put Mendez on my shoulder turn and then set him in the chair next to me. I stuff a pad between him and the chair back, paranoid he would fall. He insists he's fine and we order beers. His comes with a straw. There's a lot on his mind. The season begins in a month. Practice starts in a few days. It's only junior varsity and few at Prospect High School, some 40 miles up the road in Saratoga, can remember the last time its JV won much of anything. But Mendez doesn't care about that. This is the opportunity he has waited 12 years for, the one he long felt he deserved but worried would never come. Mendez was born with Tetra Amelia Syndrome, a rare congenital disorder that prevents the formation of limbs during embryonic development. He has lived his entire life without arms and legs. He is mobile thanks to the chair he controls with his head and neck. It has given him a life otherwise inaccessible. Thank you, he says to me after his first sip. Maybe it's ego, but when somebody tells me I can't do something or tries to separate me, I just want to prove them wrong. Rob Mendez is not only the most unique high school football coach in America, he's one of the most unique humans in the world. 
The biography of Nick Vujicic, a 36-year-old motivational speaker from Australia who also has Tetra Amelia, says there are just seven known people living in the world today with the syndrome. Mendez doesn't buy it. There's no way, he says. I can guarantee you there is someone with no arms and legs living in the mountains somewhere, with a whole different story, who isn't as active as we are. I agree it's a small percentage, a very small percentage. But seven? No way. Even if it were true, Mendez wouldn't look at things that way. He has spent his life fighting statistics, proving doctors and doubters wrong. He despises the word special. The more we talk that night, the more one word keeps popping up. How? How does he eat? How does he sleep? How does he go to the bathroom? How does he coach football? And how does he deal with such a challenging life? The day-to-day blanks are easy for him to fill in. The last question is far more complicated. There's the answer he feels as if he should deliver. And there's the reality of what he feels, but rarely reveals. We'll get to that. For now, I start with a topic far simpler. Football. How did someone who has never thrown a ball, caught a pass, or tackled anyone become a head coach? Mendez says it started with the Madden video game. His older sister, Jackie, pushed her brother to try new things and one day tucked a PlayStation controller under his chin. He learned to press the buttons with his chin and collarbone. Unlike fighting or fantasy games where he constantly had to engage, football gave him breaks. Pick a play, execute for a few seconds, take a break, pick another play, and repeat. He couldn't get enough. In high school, his friends organized a 32-team Madden tournament. He finished second. It sounds so ridiculous, but it's true, he says. That's how humans are. They adapt. I couldn't tell you what it felt like to catch a ball in the flat, but I knew what it was and why it worked. When his friends went out for football his freshman year of high school, Rob became the team manager. He absorbed everything he could. He drew up game plans on Madden and took them to practice. By his senior year, he worked his way up to quarterback's coach, and he knew what he wanted to do for the rest of his life. His parents connected him with Vojtich, who Mendez said told him he could make $25,000 per night as a motivational speaker. Mendez didn't care. We are two very different people. That's not me, Mendez says. I just wanted to coach football. For the next 12 years, he worked as an assistant coach at five high schools, waiting for someone to believe in him as a head coach. That man was Mike Cable. Last April, the varsity coach at Prospect was looking for someone to help change the culture of the Prospect program when he came across Mendez's resume. He put the name into Google. His jaw dropped. I'm not going to lie. I was a little nervous about it, Cable says. I kept thinking, how can this guy possibly coach? The interview began with Mendez asking Cable for a fist bump on the shoulder. Cable obliged. The two coaches connected. After a few minutes of conversation, Cable believed he had his man, and Mendez had the title he had achingly sought, head coach. A few minutes after our first beer, a bartender brings Mendez a plate of California rolls. They sit in front of us, untouched, for nearly ten minutes. Hey, he says, would you mind giving me a hand and putting one of those in my mouth? I'd completely forgotten that Mendez can't feed himself. After a few minutes of conversation, he seemed like any other football coach having a beer on a Friday night. It's a testament to his ability to be comfortable in any surrounding and put strangers at ease. I pick up a fork, 
stab it into the roll, drag it through a puddle of soy sauce, and put it in his mouth. He says thank you. It seems like no big deal. But later he acknowledges he hated having to ask for help. I mentioned that it seems as if anything that reminds him of his physical challenges bugs him. Bugs the S out of me, he says. We end up talking for nearly three hours. As the clock approaches 11 p.m., he looks at his empty glass and asks for another drink. One of the bartenders reminds him he's not supposed to have more than two drinks. Because he weighs 50 pounds, alcohol affects him faster than people who weigh much more. Mendez orders a water. A few minutes later, he asks if I can follow him home. I assume Mendez will pilot his wheelchair on the sidewalk and I'll drive alongside for the five dimly lit blocks back to his house. But he hates the sidewalk, so I follow him in the bike lane, hazards on. Three blocks in, a blue pickup driving in the other direction recognizes the wheelchair. Rob? Is that you? The driver asks. Where are you going, man? Home, he answers. The driver makes a U-turn, pulls in front of Mendez, and flips on his hazards. It's now a full-on escort, a motorized wheelchair flanked by two cars with their hazards flashing. We make it to his home. There he drives his chair into the living room, where his roommate and caretaker, Mike McAvoy, waits on the couch. About damn time, McAvoy says with a grin. Oh, whatever, Mendez answers. You know how it is. It wasn't until an ultrasound in the eighth month of her pregnancy that Rob's mother, Josie, found out her son was not growing limbs. At that point, she says, abortion wasn't an option. Doctors prepared her and her husband for the worst. In most cases of tetraamelia, death occurs before birth. Some newborns survive only a few hours or days. Those who do survive often end up with significant intellectual disabilities. A few days before Rob was born, doctors walked his father, Robert Mendez Sr., through the hospital's neonatal intensive care unit. They wanted Bob to see other babies born with disabilities. But other than the tetraamelia disorder, his son Rob was born a healthy baby boy. Afterward, Bob says doctors and nurses would walk by and stare. They would whisper, he says. It wasn't very polite or sensitive. But at 24... I didn't really know what to do or say at the time. Nor did he and Josie have any idea how to take care of this baby. It wasn't like there was a store to buy clothes or toys for children with no arms and legs. Initially, Josie struggled. She says she couldn't look at her son for the first couple of weeks. Later, she would cover Rob in blankets when they went in public. Rob's father saw potential in the happy, spunky baby, but also wrestled with his own emotions admitting he often asked God why. Bob eventually turned to alcohol, not until he nearly received a DUI driving Rob's handicapped accessible van did he realize the path he was on. I was drinking to forget, and to just kill the pain, he says. It didn't take long for me to figure out that alcohol is not the answer. Rob's parents tried to integrate him as early as they could, putting him in preschool at 18 months. He was still in diapers, Bob says. On Rob's first day of kindergarten, they watched nervously behind a glass window as other four- and five-year-olds approached their son eager to learn about something most of them couldn't comprehend. For Rob, the message from his father was simple. Embrace your differences. There was one word my dad never liked. Special, Mendez says. Special is bull-ass. We are all special. The other kids are special, too. What the hell does that even mean?
My dad would tell me, you're not special, Rob. You're different. And different is not bad. Embrace it. Push the limits. And anyone who has a problem with that, prove them wrong. With the help of adaptive technology, he went skiing and swimming. He learned how to draw and write using his mouth. He towed his friends around the neighborhood on their skateboards. His friends stuffed pillows in his shirt and attached a board to the front of his chair so he could play goalie in street hockey tournaments. When his friends played basketball, Rob was the referee. One thing the boy clearly didn't lack? Confidence. If Rob sensed someone staring, he'd roll up and introduce himself. Still does. I think every parent worries about their kids when they leave this earth, Bob says. But even before he could talk, I said, Somewhere, somebody is going to open a door for this kid, and he's going to shine. Mendez's wheelchair never sits still, but the way it pinballs back and forth between the hash marks on the prospect practice field says the coach is not happy. It's the second day of the team's sleep-at-school preseason camp, and the coach is trying to install one of his favorite plays, the 37th stretch. His team is a mix of freshmen and sophomores, some with a bit of experience, most with little to none. The school sits on the western edge of Silicon Valley, just five miles from Apple's campus. Its classrooms are a melting pot of haves and have-nots. Minorities make up 73% of the student body, and 26% are economically disadvantaged. When the players met their new coach, the whispers began. How could someone who had never held a football teach a freshman how to throw, tackle, or block? One player quit because of Mendez, but those who stayed learned about their new coach. He demanded respect, eye contact, and accountability. He talked about building a family, encouraged the group to play for their teammates, and ended each practice with the same message. I love you guys. On this day, one of his freshman quarterbacks struggles to grasp the footwork on the 37 stretch. Mendez tries to explain, but the kid doesn't get it. Three other players start chit-chatting between reps. Mendez loses it. Get over here, he yells. Let's go. The team jogs over and surrounds him. An assistant coach holds a whiteboard a few inches in front of Mendez. The quarterback removes the cap from a blue dry erase pen and puts it in Mendez's mouth. With the pen, Mendez draws the X's and O's of what the play is supposed to look like and why. It's 37 stretch, right? We're going to fake it this way and then waggle out, he says. But we really have to sell that we are going that way. They have to buy the fake. Otherwise, it won't work. Make sense? Yes, coach, the quarterback says. I got it. I know what you're saying. I'm sorry. You don't need to apologize, Mendez says. Just focus. You got this. The players jog back to their positions. They run the play again. This time, it's flawless. There you go, Mendez screams. That's what I'm talking about. In his 30 years, Mendez can't recall a single dream in which he has had arms or legs. It's an image his brain can't compute. There have been opportunities over the years to pursue prosthetic limbs, but he has turned them all down. He says he would consider prosthetics only if he ever became a father. As much as he doesn't want this syndrome to define him, at the same time, there's a part of him that loves the fact that it sort of does. I like the way I am, really, he says. It brings out the best in people. I'm in Las Vegas, and there's some guy stumbling drunk. Looks like he was just in a fight. He sees me, 
and he stands up straight and pulls himself together so he can open the door for me. Things like that happen all the time. It gives me hope for the world. But those experiences come at great cost. Most days, Mendez has chronic neck, back, and shoulder pain. I use my neck like my arm, Mendez says, and the muscles in your neck are not supposed to be used that often. At the end of every day, I'm sore. Mendez operates his cell phone, attached to a stand on his wheelchair, with his nose and lips. He draws and writes with his mouth. In his chair, he is constantly shifting, twisting, and adjusting his posture. On warmer days, he can get bed sores from sitting in the same position too long. He has scoliosis, which makes his spine look far more like an S than an I. And because of Rob's lack of limbs, his father says he retains 30% more heat than someone who has arms and legs. When he's away from home, he's careful about what he eats and drinks, often keeping it to no more than an iced coffee. Otherwise, there's the potential he'll need to use the bathroom without McAvoy there to help him. He hates talking about any of this. Complaining is my number one poison, he says. So I try to stay positive. You hear stories about people with cancer fighting for their lives. I'm fighting to have something to drink, to feel comfortable. So I try not to complain. It doesn't lead to a good place. It just makes me mad. McAvoy has been Mendez's caretaker for the past six years. Every morning, he helps with just about everything. Going to the bathroom, taking a bath, brushing teeth, combing hair, getting dressed, shaving, eating breakfast, and buckling Rob into his chair. Once buckled, Mendez says he feels unstoppable. You know how Iron Man gets in his suit and he just starts flying everywhere? That's how I feel in my chair, he says. It gives me this sense of independence. The day after teaching his quarterback the 37th stretch, Mendez sits under the lights at the Prospect 50-yard line, exhausted. It's almost midnight. He wanted to leave by 9 p.m., but one conversation led to another. Now the entire prospect program circles around Mendez at midfield. He tells the story of his father putting him on the stairs when he was nine years old, demanding that he climb to the top. Rob would set his chin on the ledge of the next step and use that to lift his entire body. It took him more than a half hour, sometimes two steps up, one step down. But he did it. You have to believe, he says. Think about it. What do you want out of this year? What do you want people to say about this team? How are you going to get there? After his speech, Mendez asks for a ride home. The battery on his wheelchair is dead, and he wants to charge it at school overnight. I lift him out of his chair and carry him to my car, buckling him into the passenger seat. As we head back to Gilroy, I ask Mendez if he's aware of the impact he has already had on prospect players and coaches like assistant Todd Livingston. Livingston told me Mendez's presence is living proof of what humans are capable of. Mendez shakes his head. I know that's there, he says, but I don't think about this the same way everybody else does. It's just me. I don't focus on it. He acknowledges that the attention is often uncomfortable. He's had people who hear his story and then approach him in tears. How in the world am I supposed to handle that, he says. I just try to shut it down as quickly as possible. I mentioned that one of the themes I'm thinking about for his story is this idea of a beautiful mind. He immediately snaps. No, 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 he says. I'm not going to let that happen. I'm not beautiful at all. I don't want to be put on a pedestal. I just want to be Coach Rob, Coach Mendez. I love that. 
I don't sign up for being inspirational, Rob. But it isn't that simple. The more successful Mendez is at proving he's just like everyone else, the more people put him on that pedestal, peg him as an inspiration, and treat him, well, different from everyone else. I think back to something his pediatric physical therapist told me. When someone is born this way, this is their world, Dr. Benjamin Mandak says. They don't have the grief of losing a limb because they never had it. It's society that imposes that grief. We're the ones who feel sorry for them and say, oh, you poor thing. They just want to move, explore, and live. Rob is no different. The green mile marker signs fly past on Highway 101. Mendez is hungry, tired. He needs to use the bathroom. And he doesn't like the idea I have for framing his story. He says if he had arms and legs, he has no idea how his life would be different. I ask whether that thought bothers him. And just like that, the man who so often projects like everything is fine rips off his facade. Yes, he says. Let's get to the bottom of it. I'm lazy. I haven't graduated college yet. I should have a wife by now. I know I'm good for the kids. I love the feeling when I lift kids up. But I'm 30 years old and a JV high school football coach. It's an accomplishment to the public because I have no arms and legs. But the reality is I'm not accomplished. And yeah, of course that's frustrating. I tell him that's the most honest he's been in our time together. But I don't know what else to say. For the last few minutes of our ride, we both keep quiet. When we pull into the driveway, McAvoy comes out and carries Mendez into the house. As they head inside, Mendez looks back at me over McAvoy's shoulder. I'm sorry, he says. I guess you saw a little bit of the other side tonight. This life, it just isn't always easy. Less than two weeks before his son's first game as a head coach, Bob Mendez prepares to drive Rob home after Sunday family dinner. He briefly leaves Rob in the garage to run inside. Rob leans forward in his chair to reach his cell phone. It's a move he makes countless times a day. But this time, he has no idea the belt around his waist isn't buckled. He tumbles forward. There is nothing to break his fall. He turns his face to the right, pulls his head back, and prays. The left side of his face slams into the concrete floor of the garage. Bob hears the sound from a few feet away. It was just... It was horrible, Bob says, like a pancake hitting the ground, a ten-story building hitting the ground. I swear I buckled him in. I swear. I turned around, took two to three steps, and then I heard it. It isn't the first time Rob has fallen out of his chair. It happened at the end of his senior prom when he tipped over the wheelchair ramp as he and his classmates were leaving. His father has long wished that Rob would wear an upper belt as well as the one that wraps around his waist. But Rob refuses because the upper belt limits his ability to access his phone and draw plays. Anything in the world that is worth doing, he's done it with his mind, Bob says. And you're risking it all by not wearing an upper belt. This is one of the worst falls. Blood runs everywhere. Bob rushes his son to the hospital. Rob has fractured his cheek and orbital bones and has the effects of a concussion. Doctors recommend surgery. They tell Rob he can't coach for at least four weeks. He doesn't listen. That night, he can't sleep. He can barely open his mouth. The next day, he spends almost entirely in bed, unable to open his eyes. By Tuesday afternoon, he's back at Prospect for practice. 
apologizing to his players for a Monday's absence. When his players ask what happened, he tells them he got into a fight with the pavement. I'm pretty good at dealing with pain, and I didn't want to stay home feeling sorry for myself, he says. If I can go out there and power through four or five hours, then I'm okay. Says McAvoy, that's just him. He can be stubborn. He doesn't eat right. He doesn't listen to the doctors like he should. But he's always there for the kids. He says they need him. But you know what? I think he needs them just as much. Three months after we first met, Mendez and I are in another bar, this time in downtown Campbell. It's the Friday night before Halloween. The World Series is on television. Mendez picks a spot at the bar next to two women. In less than a minute, he introduces himself, then me, and strikes up a conversation. In the morning, he will coach the biggest game of his young career. Some might suggest he should be home, resting. But here, he's in his element. Holding court, triggering laughs, and helping people realize for a few minutes that a man in a wheelchair without arms and legs is just like anyone else. I'm not afraid to be myself, he tells me later. I wish more people were like that. If I'm sitting there and don't smile or say hello, I just feel like that's rude. The season has been a greater success than Mendez could have imagined. His greatest fear was failure. But after losing the season opener to Santa Clara, his Panthers won seven games in a row. Along the way, Cable invited Mendez's two best players to move to varsity. They chose to stay with him. In a little more than 12 hours, Prospect will play for the League JV Championship. The school they will face, and Sobrato, fired Mendez as an assistant three years earlier. Said they wanted to move on without me, Mendez says, in a text message. Sobrato is located across the street from his parents' home in Morgan Hill. On convenience alone, it would have been the perfect place for him to coach forever. Now comes the opportunity to prove the school made a mistake. The Super Bowl of JV football, he says. With less than two minutes remaining in the game, Prospect trails 3-0, facing a 4th and 14 just inside Sobrato territory. Mendez calls his last time out. Neither team has moved the ball all day, with the game's only points coming on a 35-yard Sobrato field goal three minutes earlier. Prospect's lone highlight came on defense when, just before halftime, the Panthers stonewalled Sobrato on four straight plays from the goal line to keep the game scoreless. The battery on Mendez's wheelchair is dead, so two Panthers push him onto the field. He tells his offense he believes in them, and he calls the exact same play he did on the previous down, flipping it to the other side of the field. Rex 9 left, 180 smash. If all goes well, a receiver should be open about 15 yards downfield right in front of the prospect sideline. As the quarterback rolls out, the play unfolds perfectly. The receiver is open. Mendez looks up as the quarterback's pass sails overhead. His head drops. The throw is too long, and the ball harmlessly caroms out of bounds. Tears begin to fall. Mendez rolls over to his dejected quarterback. We live and die with each other, he says. We live and die. Mendez leans forward in his chair. His torso pushes against his belt. He asks his quarterback for a hug. The 14-year-old wraps his arms tightly around Mendez's back. I appreciate you, Mendez says. I love you, bro. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of everyone. It's all good. When the final buzzer sounds, the players and coaches line up at the 50 to shake hands. 
Mendez gets a fist-to-shoulder bump from every Sobrato player. Luis Lopez, the JV coach who worked with Mendez at the school, hugs Mendez. Great job, coach. I love you, man, Lopez says. I'm so proud of you. Good ass you've done with those kids. You guys fought your butts off. Keep your heads up. Next year, you'll be back in it. Believe me. One week later, Prospect finishes its season 8-2 with a 19-13 victory over Yerba Buena. On this night, on the same field where this journey began, Mendez gathers his team one last time. It isn't about what the players did right or wrong or what they need to clean up before the next game. Instead, Mendez repeats two words over and over and over. Thank you. He knows what he has given his team. He can see how they've grown as players and people. He has heard it from their parents and teachers. But he wonders whether the players have any idea what they've given him. In life, I feel like I'm always being helped, he says. They gave me the feeling of being the helper. They gave me a feeling of importance. And that's special because sometimes in this world, on a day-to-day basis, I wish I could do more. And those kids gave me the feeling that I can do anything. In the months that follow, Mendez unplugs from football. He reads, draws, and spends extra time with family and friends. A handful of schools reach out about head coaching jobs. But he says he's almost certain he will return to Prospect to lead its JV squad again next season. I don't think I could do that to those kids, he says. We have unfinished business. The time away from football has given Mendez a chance to reflect on his first season as a head coach. It confirmed how much he despises losing. The Sobrato loss still bothers me, he says in February. I think it always will. It showed him how much energy he draws from the kids. But most importantly, it's given him an understanding of his journey in this world, a path untethered to anything anyone on the outside might say, think, or believe. This was confirmation that, you know what? I'm doing okay, he says. I'm not the perfect guy. I make mistakes. I might take two steps forward and then one step back. But I learned that I can be a leader. I can work with people. I can adjust to anything that's thrown my way. And with that, in this world, I know I'm going to be all right. Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Wayne Drays. Wayne, once again, thank you for your time. Pleasure to be here, Mike. Glad to, glad to help out. First of all, this amazing story of Rob Mendez, how did this story come to your attention? So uh, this is a piece that was discovered by one of our feature producers uh, on the TV side, Kristen Lapis. She Mm -hmm. was in the Bay Area working on another story about a year and a half ago, saw a mention of Rob in one of the local uh, Bay Area papers, reached out to him and kind of, uh, you know, explored the process. And then, you know, I jumped in early on and um, reported the story with her. Mm-hmm. Uh, both for TV and then for magazine and dot com as well. Now, one of the interesting parts, I, uh, things I wanted to ask you about is, it, Rob has clearly stated, like you know, time after time, that he doesn't want to be thought of anything else than what he is—a coach. So, if that's the case, how did he uh, even like, agree to let you guys do the story? So, so this is one of the things about Rob, right? Is like. As, as Kristen and I sort of discovered in our reporting of this, um, half of what he says, I, I wouldn't say it isn't true, but it's sort of like he doesn't fully understand his place in this world and his sure. place and how he relates to everyone else yet, right? Mm-hmm. And so on one hand, 
yes, he, he was uncomfortable at times and with interviews and he's like, you know, I'm not any good on camera and I don't like doing this and, you know, so on and so forth. But at the same time, you know, we would walk into a restaurant together and the first thing he would say is, oh, th- these are my friends at ESPN. They're doing a story on me. There you go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, like, th- it, w- it was one of many sort of contradictions where, uh, you know, I think, I think he did wrestle with it, but at the same time, I think uh, he loved the attention. And I think also, obviously, he's a really smart dude, mm-hmm. and I think he understands that more people knowing his story and understanding what he's about can only help him get more opportunities in coaching moving forward. Got it. That, I mean, yeah, you can, you can, you could sort of see like um, in your written piece and just in how he spoke, that I got that feeling that there was some sort of like a seesaw in his brain at all times, like going in either direction. Totally, totally, totally. Absolutely. And like, you know, you'll see, he'll say things like, I hate asking for help, right? Like there's right. the opening scene in the story where him and I are having dinner together and I have to feed him. Yeah. And, uh, which is, which was crazy, but, and he says later, you know, like, you know, it bugged the blank out of me that you had to feed me. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's parts of his day where like, I, it's hard to explain, but like he almost, he, he, he relies on people to help him sometimes without them knowing he's going to need help. Like, for the example, the day that I drove him home, yeah, he had no ride home that night. He was 40 miles from home. He hadn't set up his, like, taxi that he usually takes. Yeah. And so he was just assuming that someone there would drive him home, mm-hmm. right? Well, those two things don't go together, not wanting help and yet assuming somebody will take you home. Right. So, but also, but part of that, though, it seems like that's sort of the negative side of his independence in a way. And to paint the picture of his day a little clearer, like in his independence, uh, he also has, like, he's not just living off, like, some, like, he has a full-time job, correct? He does. He doesn't, he doesn't do it um, that much during the season. Mm-hmm. Um, he's got a job in customer service, but during the off-season, he's, he's working, you know, I think somewhere around 25, 30 hours a week, something like that. So, yeah. yeah. And, but then... Also, as far as like some of those, um, some of that like balance in his head we were just talking about, like at one point though, where he really kind of breaks through and says to you, you know, I'm lazy. I haven't graduated college yet. I should have a wife. And, you know, like basically is it, is what I'm doing being a 30 year old JV football coach an accomplishment because I don't have arms and legs in his brain? No, it's not. Like he's, he's actually really not accomplished. But how much of that do you think? lives on the like is really on the surface and he's fighting it or is it sort of like buried deep and just comes out now and again after a couple of beers? those those emotions you mean yes like those emotions yeah, and, those, think, and those and those feelings like almost like out loud i would say that they're just below the surface i don't think he shares them with many people mm-hmm. um i don't think he necessarily has the trust in a lot of people in his real you know inner circle to sort of reveal those things but I think in his own mind, uh, absolutely, absolutely, he feels that way. You know, you, you have to understand that, obviously, given everything he's accomplished, he is an incredibly uh, competitive, mm-hmm. uh, confident, 
person. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and I asked him, I mean, one of the, one of the things that blew me away more than anything else in my reporting in the story is when he said to me, he's never had a single dream where he's had arms and legs. Hmm. And he's never dreamt that he's run or caught a football or anything. It's never, it's never, his brain can't compute that. Yeah. And so when I heard that, I, I thought to myself, okay, like he literally doesn't know what this is like. And therefore, he doesn't understand why everybody's all upset that he doesn't have arms and legs. Right. Right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't judge himself. Like we judge him on a sliding scale. He doesn't judge himself on a sliding scale. Right. And I think that's where his frustration stems from. But but the other part of that is, it seems, you know, it's 2019 and the ability to finish college, like from your kitchen table, if you wanted to, is available yes. to him. Is there any reason why he, he hasn't been able to, like, finish a degree or, or is there a reason why he only, he only works part-time? I think, I think it's, it's, it's partially um, what he said and partially being a little bit lazy at times. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, he pours so much of himself into football mm-hmm. that I think when, that's, when, when that day is finished or when he's done doing that, he's exhausted. Yep. I mean, he's just absolutely wrecked. Um, and maybe he doesn't have, you know, as large of a gas tank as the rest of us have. Right. Um, the other thing is, I don't know if he, and this is totally me speculating, but I don't know if he sees it as a priority mm-hmm. beyond, beyond, you know, helping his own self-esteem, right? Like, yeah. does he need that? Well, look, if he wants to go on and be a college coach or something like that, they would like you to have, you know, a little bit more credentials than uh, a high school degree. Right. But, but, but does he, I don't know if he puts enough, you know, enough, of a, enough stress on that, right? Like, let's say if, let's say just totally, totally dreaming here that San Jose State came to him and said, hey, we want to make you, you know, an offensive coach on our staff, but you mm-hmm. got to have a college degree. Well, maybe then he would go and work his butt off and get it, right? Sure. And I don't know if, he, if he's put that connection to it yet. Um, the other thing is, you know, as far as, you know, not being married and things like that, he can be an extremely difficult, stubborn person at times. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, came across a little bit in the story, but you know, he, even for us, he wasn't always the absolute 100% easiest guy to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's one of the reasons he's had, uh, I think, you know, whatever it is, the, the five jobs in 12 years or whatever the exact number is mm-hmm. uh, at different high schools. Is after, at, after time, he can, he can sometimes rub people the wrong way. Sure. So that's, you know, somewhat of, a, of an issue, I think, at times as well. And I think he would be one of the first to admit that. Then again, you know... That's sort of, if you look at some of the great coaches, I mean, there's a guy up in New England that coaches the Patriots that, you know, didn't really do that well in his first stint at, uh, as a head coach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And he's gone on to sort of learn from that. Yep. And there's, and then, you know, and there's like, there's a, there's this incredible sense of sort of, of awkwardness too, right? Like even on, even some of the coaches on his staff this year, mm-hmm. there were games we were at where he would make a play call, the play would fail, and you could see some of the other coaches kind of roll their eyes or, you know, just have some sort of visible frustration at times, right? Which mm-hmm. isn't unusual for any coaching staff. But yeah. when it's a man in his wheelchair coaching with arms and legs, where does the line move in terms of how much you are able to or not able to challenge him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, like what is disrespectful, what isn't, and I think he would say, 
I know he would say, treat me like anybody else. And if you don't agree and, and you're pissed, get in my face and tell me. Right. But I don't know if people are that comfortable to yet do that all the time yet. Yeah, it's almost like you do get the feeling in your in your piece that he is begging people to define him by what he does, and a lot of people are defining him by what he looks like. Exactly, hundred percent. So, hundred percent. How much of a role? It seems that like there was a couple of anecdotes you had, and I know in the uh, in the piece on Sports Center with his sister involved. Uh, how much of a role did? Uh, Rob's parents and sister play in this independence. It seems that they did at times like really push him. Yeah, certainly when he was when he was a kid, um, they pushed him a lot. And I think I think part of that was for his own good, and I think part of that was almost therapeutic for them. Yeah, uh, to be like, hey, look, you know, Mike, my, my, he can he can do this. He can go to school with anybody else. He can climb the stairs. He can play video games. Like mm-hmm. like he, he's got a bunch of friends. He can to kind of ease the the stress and and you know all the things that they were juggling the emotions they were juggling and having a, a, a son who was this way um but as rob got older given her personality given his personality he he wanted independence mm-hmm. um there's a story that didn't appear in the, in the in, in either one of the pieces but when he was i think a high school senior he had a a woman that would follow him, a little bit older woman that would follow him to his classes and kind of help him with books and that sort of thing. Yep. And she used to turn him in when he would ditch classes. Sure. And he was at, he was absolutely livid, and he said, "This is total garbage. I want to be able to ditch classes like anybody, any of my friends, and not have some <laughs> old lady turn me in." And he literally like was was furious with his parents and with the school, and finally they like you know asked this woman that she or told her she didn't need to do this anymore. And Rob was on his own and he had students help him or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. But his point was like, I want to ditch like everybody else and not get caught. It was (laughs) like, that's the degree of independence that he wants. So as he got older, it was like, thanks mom and dad. But you know, I need to figure out something else. And he ran into this great guy, Mike, who, uh, who helps take care of him Mm -hmm. and is his roommate and, and one of his best friends. Another thing, uh, Another P, uh, part of your story that I found a little bit interesting here was um, when you mentioned uh, Nick uh, Vujicic, the uh, the motivational speaker from Australia, who also has tetramelia, has no limbs. I get the feeling that Rob was sort of holding back because he really seemed to balk at the idea of not only letting that syndrome that he was born with define you, but the possibility of monetizing it. Yes, yes, 100%. He, uh, when I stumbled into that, that story about Nick and everything that, that he's about, you know, I brought it up to Rob. I said, Hey, I said, I said, you know, I was, I was reading and I came across this name and I didn't even finish getting the name out of my mouth. And he was like, no, 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 no. You know, he's like, I, that's not me. It's not who I am. And I talked to him and you know, he said, I could make, you know, $25,000 a speech and him and I could team up and travel the world. And that's just, that's not, you know, that's not what I'm about. And, you know, as I put in the story, he, uh, you know, he was, he was very strongly against that. And also, you know, argued vehemently that there's no way there's only seven of them in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, like, as I put in the story, even if that were true and Rob would never admit it to begin with, you know, the, 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 the number, you know, they told Rob's parents when he was born less than a hundred in the world, Mm-hmm. You know, Nick's bio say that there's seven of them or seven known ones, at least we'll put it that way. Yeah. Who, who knows, right? Like who right. knows? Um, but, but yeah, Rob was very against 
um, that sort of a lifestyle and that, you know, that way he, he does, he does like the idea of inspiring people. And he tells a story of, you know, being in Vegas and this drunk guy who looks like he just got in a fight is stumbling over and manages to kind of prop himself up to hold the door open for Rob and yeah. things like that that happen all the time. But he, he doesn't, he says he doesn't want to be someone who, again, is, you know, crossing the globe on airplanes and writing books, sure. uh, filling his pockets because he's got no arms and legs. He seems like he seems like he wants to he wants the spotlight, but he wants him he wants it for because I want a state title, not because I did it with no arms and no legs. And in fact, if that never made the story, that might be the that might be the defining proudest moment of his life. Yes, but I, but I but I still think that he there's still part of him that loves the fact that he can do it like that. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like that's the contradiction. He says that that you know to him uh, he never wants to be looked at that way, so on and so forth. But you know, I really I really don't know. I mean, if that was the case, you know, go get prosthetics. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and make your life you know that much easier. Well, no, I don't want to do that. You know, like this is who I am. You know, so on and so forth. So. Again, like this, this, this tension between what he says and what he really feels um, is kind of always there. And in many ways, I think as well, like that's one of the reasons that makes this such a compelling piece and makes mm-hmm. him such an interesting character. Does he, I mean, maybe you wouldn't reveal it, but like, does he like get, like, that seems like there's a lot of conflict in, his, in him. Like, does he like, has he ever like sought help for that? Like with like therapy or anything like that because it seems like you know we never we never got into it i don't know i mean you know i will say when we had that exchange that night in the car and he kind of like like i I wrote like he you know kind of pulled off the facade and was very real for a few minutes Mm -hmm. it almost seemed to be like a relief for him yeah or he was like yeah like that's it like now you now you know what you're talking now you know what we're talking about wayne like this is what the story is yeah it sucks you know, yeah, I can't, you know, I can't do this and I can't do that. And I'm not married and I, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, like that very real raw emotion seemed, I guess it seemed like almost a relief to get that off his chest when, when he had that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But you also go on, you talk about how, you know, he has unfinished business and, you know, as you talk about also how competitive he is. So clearly part of that unfinished business isn't just, uh, beating the team they lost to in uh, representing a school that, as you mentioned, fired him via text, I believe. Yep. But he seems that because of how important it is to him, because of how unconditional it needs to be for uh, the help that he needs on any given day, he seems as someone who clearly values loyalty maybe more than other people, like has a different perspective on it. So do you think, though, that despite that, like he will eventually leave that school if he is given the opportunity to coach for, even though you mentioned like, yes, people were interested in him uh, in your story and uh, really got the word out. And I'm sure more than ever it's going to be, but do you think that he's the kind of guy that would just stay there and really help foster these kids? And, or is his dream, like I'm going to coach a varsity football team. I think Again, I'm just speculating here, but in the time that I've spent with him, I think that is uh, a major tug of war 
going on inside him right now. Uh, and I don't know what offers are or aren't there or what the aftermath has been of the story coming out over the weekend. I'm sure there are people that are going to be reaching out to him. Mm-hmm. Um, he absolutely values loyalty. Um, he has an incredible bond with, with this team and these kids. Um, I, it, my guess is barring somebody coming and absolutely blowing him away with some offer he can't refuse. Mm-hmm. I would guess he would stay there again, you know, again for this year, maybe one more year after that, something like that. And perhaps then go take uh, a varsity job. Mm-hmm. If the right opportunity came along, um, but I think that's something that he's probably wrestling with right now, depending on, you know, like I said, like how much his phone is ringing or what people are saying or, or who knows, I, you know, Kristen and I both told him throughout the process. I mean, we obviously understood that his was an incredible story. We said, you know, Rob, you need to be prepared because more than likely when this runs, your life's going to change quite a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, people are going to, you think people know you now and you think it's an interesting thing now, it's, it's going to go to a whole nother level. And certainly the response to the story over the weekend uh, has been incredible. It's, it's been what we expected. And mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I haven't even had more than uh, two or three text messages with him to even know how things are going and what's happening. Um, so I think once he kind of, you know, evaluates all of that and takes a look at things, I think then he'll kind of make a decision. But I know they've already started their offseason weight program. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had a meeting with the kids, I want to say last week, uh, last Wednesday. I think they all had a meeting to sit down and talk about their goals for what they wanted to get uh, t- taken care of during the off season. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think, you know, every, every day he's planning on being there, barring something crazy coming along. And again, I said, I don't know that that even exists, but that's just my sort of guess. Now, the players you got to speak with and any of their families, and I know you got to, I know you talked about um, in the piece, like the, the demographics and like, you know, the wealth or lack thereof of, of the school that he's at. And how much is of Rob's dedication, not only to football, but the concept of family, like really helped turn this team and program around? Yeah, no question. I think, I think first of all, you have a group of kids who, you know, as, as the one linebacker Toa says in the piece, when you look at what this man is doing to be with you and help you get become a better football player every day, mm-hmm. how can you not push yourself through practice? How can you not, you know, sit there in the last couple reps and uh, give it all you have? You know, uh, I mean, I I know even even in my time with Rob and getting to know him, I've had moments in my life right where I'm like it's stupid, right? Like at the gym on a treadmill and I'm tired and I want to stop. I'm like, well, crap. Like you just got back from seeing Rob. The dude's got no arms and legs. <laughs> shut up, shut up and finish your run. Wayne. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> like, so, right. And, and, and I'm a grown man. So certainly, you know, impressionable teenagers, I think respond to that with that, you know, he, he certainly created, he created a family. He taught them about, you know, these things that all seem so basic to us, Mm-hmm. To, to many of us, but weren't necessarily established uh, in this program previously. You know, things like discipline. You, you you would have kids who, you know, as I would told, would come to practice on Monday, not show up the rest of the week, and then all of a sudden be there for the game on Friday night ready to play. I mean, that was common. Yep. Um, you know, grades were an issue. Like a bunch of things that just, you know, guys didn't take care of their business. And 
you know, Rob got them to believe in each other and hold each other accountable. And and then plus, I think, look, once he said, once he establishes that, that foundation and then the season starts and they have success, well, heck, at that point, everybody's buying in big time because mm-hmm. it's working. Um, so once it sort of snowballs and all that, then I think, you know, they just became tighter and tighter and tighter. So it, it, it certainly, it certainly worked. So besides, I mean, I know you chronicle the, uh, how he was at his parents' house and there was like a mishap and he would, and he fell down and he fractured part of his face, but he was right at practice next day because he's, it pretty much speaks to his personality that he was there probably way earlier than any doctor recommended him to be there. So besides that danger, like how is, I mean, and you mentioned like he may not have as much of a gas tank as the rest of us. Like how is like his health, like, like outside of the, like, does he, does he have like a lot of concerns out there or is he, is, is he like a perfectly healthy person? So he, uh, he hates talking about his health first of all, mm-hmm. uh, cause it's something else that reminds him of sort of how he's different. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but his dad, we talked to his dad about it quite a bit. And, uh, and certainly there are a lot of concerns. I mean, for one, he, because he doesn't um, have arms and legs, his body retains about 30% more heat than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. Therefore, you know, on a football field in July, he's 30% hotter than the rest of us. So and nobody really knows that. Basically constantly, like, pretty much almost, almost like living with a fever at all times. Exactly, exactly. And the other thing is he does not – take uh, I think he would tell you he does not take the absolute best care of himself <laughs> so and, and and I don't mean that by like you know he's eating you know whatever pizza and hot wings every night or whatever I just mean like you know the, the issues of like needing somebody to help him use the bathroom right so mm-hmm. because of that he he really won't eat a whole lot during the day mm-hmm. um, I've spent I spent days with him when we were together for 10 11 12 hours and I would see him drink a Starbucks maybe fill the empty cup of Starbucks with a glass of water mm-hmm. and at a team dinner, maybe have half a slice of pizza yeah. and that's it. So he doesn't eat much. Uh-huh. Um, and the other thing is because he doesn't have arms, everything he does physically, he uses his head and neck mm-hmm. or, or his torso, right? Like controlling his wheelchair. Um, mm-hmm. You know, his, his cell phone is with his nose or his lips. Uh, everything he does is moving his, his, his neck around. And so because of that, he's incredibly stiff and sore. Uh, his dad says in the TV piece, right, when you take him out of his chair, mm-hmm. his whole body just cracks. Um, his back, uh, he's got scoliosis. His back is uh, a giant S as opposed to an I. Um, he, he, you know, when you're with him, he doesn't sit still in his chair for more than, I don't know, 10, 20 seconds before he's got to kind of shift sure. and adjust and almost like get the kinks out, if you will. So, you know, those are the issues he had. Now, having said that, you know, he doesn't have any underlying significant medical issues, mm-hmm. you know, related to his tetramelia. Um, You know, he's, he's fine in that regard. He just has these sort of little, I wouldn't say little because they're painful, but um, frustrating, annoying things that he has to deal with because of, uh, you know, the challenges he faces. So in the end, uh, I'd have to ask you where would, with the track he's on and, and what his drive and what you've learned and the success he's had in, in the limited role as a head coach, 
There he was at 30. Where would you see Rob Mendez if, at 40? That's a great question. You know, I when we first started this story, I asked some of the coaches that he worked with, what's his potential? What could this man really do as a coach? And everybody told me, uh, looked me straight in the eye and said, his potential is truly limitless. That if he wants to dedicate himself and commit himself and coach in college, he could coach in college. Wow. People looked me straight in the eye and said that. Now, knowing knowing Rob's personality, knowing uh, everything I do about him and sort of, you know, the competitive side and, uh, you know, how he can be stubborn and difficult at times, all these different things. My guess is I would probably say he would, he, he would be a, a very good varsity football coach with having the right staff around him. Mm-hmm. Uh, the right, the right coaches with him, and 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 potentially, maybe, I mean, maybe he could, you know, uh, coach in college. I think, you know, his his greatest asset as a coach, and it's probably the thing that probably would irritate him to even hear, but it's his it's his ability to motivate the players mm-hmm. because of who he is. He's got great X's and O's. He's a good play caller. He knows offense really well, but his greatest strength is getting in front of a a room of kids or a room of young men and pushing them to be the best they can be. Uh, that's what he's great at. And I think the older the player gets, the more challenging it is, the more challenging it would be for him to have the same effect on them. Uh, the other thing that I wonder too is longer term, mm-hmm. uh, would his message get stale with the same group of players? Right after a couple of years, right? Like we all know like the hard driving football coach or basketball coach or whatever, who after like the second or third year, you're like, yeah, this guy just yells. This is no fun. Like I'm mm-hmm. turn him out. Um, would his message grow stale? I don't know. Um, but I think he's got, you know, a heck of a foundation. Um, you know, I, I'll tell you, you know, one other thing I just thought of is when I started this project, I just assumed Mike, that this guy was basically a glorified mascot, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Oh, like, the nice guy in the wheelchair, we roll him out, and he coaches, quote-unquote coaches, but doesn't really coach. Yep. And obviously, as you can see, like he's every bit of coach as anybody else. Yes. Um, and so I think, you know, if he, if he committed himself and wanted to be great, that's certainly, you know, I, I think he could do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just seems that the, uh, it's, like you said about college, it just seems that when it becomes a priority to him, like just look out, don't get in his way. Yeah, yes, exactly, exactly. Well, we'll definitely be following his career next. I mean, I think uh, it goes without saying that uh, this might be the most watched JV football program in the country next season. <laughs> yeah, no kidding, right? <laughs> That's great. It was funny. We'd show up, you know, with uh, our camera crew, and people would be like, man, it's a it's a large camera crew for a JV football game. Sure enough. <laughs> exactly. Well, I'm sure they'll be back. But once again, uh, Wayne, as always, thank you so much for your time. All right. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Thank you. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories podcasts.